Good afternoon, Hugh. It was nice to hear from you today. And uh, I've enjoyed much of what I've seen that you have written uh, over the past couple of years, and including your recent posts about uh, helping your, your child, your son, I believe, his homework during this coronavirus situation. So I do have a couple questions for you if you're up for it. Um, I believe we have similarly aged children. Uh, mine are about to be seven and 10. So I guess my question would be this, and I'll keep it nice and broad so you could take it any way you'd like. Um, to what extent and in what ways has your study or your familiarity with Vygotsky's work influenced your experience as a parent, be it uh, uh, the way that you have reacted to things or maybe ways that you have proactively tried to get ahead or influence things, uh, really in any which way at all. And uh, by all means, if you have any tips or any advice whatsoever, I'm absolutely interested. So thanks. And by the way, sorry about the, uh, the lighting and the setting. I'm out of the house for a couple of days, so on the road. So uh, thanks. Hello, Anthony, and anyone else watching. I've got your question on a card, and I've got some notes. Um, I'm expecting this will be about half an hour. There'll be about a 10 minutes preamble describing Vygotsky's influence on my thinking, and then 20 minutes going much more into anecdotes and my insights into certain aspects of children's behavior and parenting. Okay, let's start with your question. Um, and our, Again, our subject is parenting and Vygotsky, which is a very large subject indeed. Um, but hopefully I will touch on, upon some meaningful things in the time that I've put into this. Okay, to what extent and in what ways has your study or your familiarity with Vygotsky's work influenced your experience as a parent? Be it the way that you have reacted to things or maybe ways that you have proactively tried to get ahead or influence things really in any way which, in any which way at all. Um, so yes, these are good points and I have answers to each of these nuances. But first the preamble. Okay. Um, so we can talk about Vygotsky in the narrow sense in terms of what Vygotsky wrote and the studies and work that Vygotsky did. Or we can talk about Vygotsky's ideas and the Vygotsky in school and all the collaborators that extended or um, took his ideas and perhaps even took them in new directions within a certain domain. Um, and it's in the second sense that I generally think of as being the Vygotsky or Vygotskyan. Um, I like to try and read between the lines and not worry too much about the explicit um, wording of things. 
partly that's because I rely on translations, which um, for me have been very beneficial. I, mean, I wouldn't have come into contact with this material otherwise. Okay, um, so that wider sense um, still, I would say, is true to Vygotsky in the sense that we're talking about psychological development and in my case, uh, a particular interest in developmental education. And I'll get more into what I mean by develop developmental education uh, as I proceed. Um, so a little bit more on influence. Um, Vygotsky helped me to um, to build a conceptual structure around some ideas that I was uh, conceptual that I was pursuing some conceptual problems. Um, so he didn't change my way of thinking or way of looking at things necessarily, but certainly added some important um, conceptual structure into ways of uh, understanding and um, insights into behavior. Now this generally can be described as the um, externalist method or externalist school of psychology. And uh, what this is referring to is basically methods you can take in order to um, make very strong inferences about the nature of someone's inner world. So you're not relying upon self-report or subjective experiences. Um, you can actually get highly rigorous um, studies using particular methods to report on something that appears to be a complete black box that you, you have no access to. Um, so that those ideas were, were um, for me, uh, very rich and insightful and um, I resonated uh, with much of what Vygotsky was writing about and had to say and uh, I was reading from the same page as, as it were, as, as my own thinking was developing. So, a key theme with Vygotsky is the social genesis of mind. And different people take this in different ways. Okay, some people are talking about social practice, other people are looking at the linguistic aspects, or anthropological, psychological, or as we subject of our talk today is just participation as a parent or as in your own occupation as a teacher. Um, we all have things to gain from Vygotsky I think and it's a it's a really lovely subject so that, that enables people with different interests to actually come together and uh, sometimes even agree <laughs> on what they're seeing and talking about. So, social genesis of mind is one of these subjects that 
is foundational to Vygotsky. And some of these practitioners um, focus more on this, on the social practice side, and less on Vygotsky's emphasis on the development of cognition. That, to some people, takes more of a back seat. For me, that's much more in the foreground. And in fact, personally, you can relate. For me, I relate social genesis of mind quite closely with um, the notion of metacognition. Now, um, metacognition is a term that was bandied around quite a lot when um, cognitive science was in its uh, infancy or earlier days. And um, I don't know whether the connotations that people had then are the same now, but certainly the phenomena that it refers to is um, still alive and kicking. And it would be foolish, in my opinion, to ignore it. Uh, um, other phrases that you might use uh, instead of metacognition might be reflectiveness or reflexivity. Um, it's largely pertaining to thought turning around upon itself or just self-awareness. And for me, this is very important um, with respect to my own studies and research and also um, as I relate it to Vygotsky. Okay. So when I'm reading Vygotsky, um, it's not just about Vygotsky's ideas uh, and theory um, and their uh, coherence. It's also important for me that it's something that I can relate to, that I can um, use to think about uh, my own experiences and uh, scrutinize what Vygotsky says in relation to my own experiences or what I observe with others and uh, different accounts. Um, so we have to bring our, we can make it personal, have a personal basis to these understandings, which of course is very important when we're talking about being a parent and any insights that we can bring to, to our um, engagement with children. That's uh, an important point. Um, many people emphasize that psychological development and developmental education pertains to children um, and uh, doesn't have much to do with adults. Um, for me, that doesn't apply at all. I would say no. It's something that just continues on. Um, the only difficulty really is talking about um, psychological development with respect to adults because it's more of a touchy subject um, and uh, it's far easier ethically to talk about children's development because everyone is happy to accept that children start off with um, uh, relative to adults, fairly um, poor performance at some things, and they learn and develop and, and um, blossom in what they do. But it's not so easy to 
talk about these things with respect to adults because um, it opens the door to all sorts of criticism and scrutiny and comparisons. Um, but from my position, everything that's written about here from with respect to children can apply to adults too. So it's not only learning about how to be a good parent with respect to children, you can apply it to your own um, practices and your own your own um, endeavours. Okay. Um, so we need to just because I'm emphasising developmental education and my efforts to try and uh, shoehorn this in somewhat to my parenting role. Um, I need to help distinguish what we mean by development. Now, um, reading between the lines of what Vygotsky wrote, even in his first volume, or rather what's collated into his first volume of the collected works, um, we have a very small amount of text, about four lines that describe, or the first instance of description, I think, of the zone of proximal development. And there's just four lines that describe it quite succinctly. And here he talks about um, um, two notional children, each having the same intellectual age. And by this, he means the um, upper complexity with which these children are currently able, upper complexity of an activity or task that these able children are able to undertake independently. And so this is given an index called intellectual age. And he says, well, if you've got these two children that are um, uh, apparently um, equivalent at, at undertaking some task that for them is at the higher ends of their, uh, their, uh, their uh, complexity, or their ability to handle a certain degree of complexity. Um, you take these two children with the same intellectual age and you um, give them a, a harder task, but with assistance from an adult, then these two children may perform in quite, um, quite qualitatively different um, degrees. One child, he says, could perform at a level that's one year higher than their current, i.e. they're now performing um, with the aid of an adult. They're performing uh, a task that it would take a nine-year-old, if they were previously eight, a nine-year-old to, um, if their age is eight and the, the, the comparison is against the nine-year-old. Um, and the second child might perform perhaps equivalent to a child, a child who's undertaken the activity independently that was 12 years old. And so there might be a, effectively a four year gain with the assistance of an adult. Um, perhaps I should have read the passage because it would have been a lot shorter than my, my roundabout way of describing it. Now, um, this, um, this little section helps to, to locate some ideas but it doesn't actually point out 
what's going on in this structure. It just says something's happening here that seems to be important. Right? But the actual passage itself doesn't say, well, what actually is it that's important here? Um, you have the, the social aspect here, in which you're saying, well, the adult's contribution enables the children to do better at a task and this helps to show certain um, skills or competencies that the children have available to them in some mm, early form that can manifest with the help of an adult or a particular adult. And these two children are able to perform at different levels with respect to each other, which suggests that one child uh, has something different about them to the other one with respect to the task. Again, the actual um, uh, description doesn't refer to at all about what is actually different here it's just identifying it. it's locating a phenomena and for our purposes to start with that seems a good place to start i mean the description itself has all sorts of issues with it you could say it's naive in certain respects um, but it helps to locate a, a focus of attention now in this you'd have to read much more Vygotsky to really start to appreciate what sorts of things is Vygotsky interested in in, in in making this description. So one child is four is, 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 has a sort of four-year gain and the other has a one-year gain. Um, what's going on? Why is this the case? We can assume that the guidance given by the uh, adult is comparable or even you could even say that the, the, the adult will just um, communicate whatever they feel necessary to the child and will just say you know uh, to enable the child to do as best as they can and still only one will get one year one year's higher in terms of complexity and the other four so well one way to think about this is in terms of um, instruction that we can give and allow people to carry out um, so I could say to one of my children um, um, we're going to be talking about migration of birds today um, why don't you go and find out some information about birds and maybe write a page about migration. Um, I could give that as a task or I could say to my child um, in an instructive capacity, if I'm you know, as a, in a teaching role, um, go on the internet and look up bird migration and have a look around and write a page about it. Or I could say to a child, mm, go and sit at the table 
um, and bring up Google on the browser and search but search use the keywords uh, bird migration and see what you can find or I could say go and sit at the table turn on the computer bring up the browser go to Google and bring the mouse to the top of the the URL or sorry into the search box and type in B-I-R-D space M-I-G-R-A-T-I-O-N so you get my gist but I can have different levels of of direction or instruction or guidance and um, children may be responsive to some but some of the others they might not be able to follow and I would suggest that this is um, quite um, commensurate with what Vygotsky is focusing upon when he's talking about the, the zone of proximal development and which his emphasis is upon the child's ability to imitate and I would say well these are two very similar things except when I'm talking about degrees of generality in instruction this helps to draw one's attention to certain qualitative differences within within a, a set of instructions that ostensibly are about the same thing um, so a child can follow some and not necessarily follow others or perhaps I start with some high generalization and then I emphasize on a few bits and pieces um, this helps to um, hmm. Right, draw out the distinction of how an activity can be structured. And this structuring of an activity you can talk about in terms of uh, a method or even one strategy. And I would suggest that this um, strategy or method is very important and central to all of Vygotsky's work and to uh, Vygotskyan process, Vygotskyan school, particularly within the developmental education line. Um, so what do I mean by, or what do we mean by development as opposed to learning? And within the um, context of development of cognition, what I am referring to is the reorganization of cognition. Particularly, for example, the reorganization of cognition to enable greater complexity of strategy or ways of structuring one's activity, including ways of construct of of uh, of, of synthesizing better, more complex ways to perceive, um, uh, appreciate, um, understand. All these things can be mediated by this um, relative degree of complexity of 
of structuring of one's activity. Um, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this in this talk. Um, when I'm talking about cognition, I'm not talking about something separate to activity. I'm talking about an aspect of activity, and that aspect is the guiding aspect of one's activity. Now, um, this isn't necessarily something that always takes place within one's activity, um, because you could be doing something that's extremely familiar and not require much conscious thought about it. So, but historically, conscious thought would have been necessitated in 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 learning that activity to, to begin with. So, the the cognitive guidance that takes place within an activity um, is something that um, requires conscious attention, i.e. the thinking on the part of, of the actor, whether it's a child or an adult or, or anyone else. So, this for me is something that distinguishes between learning and development. You can learn how to do things, for example, go on a, on a course and get, get training to do certain things, but that training doesn't necessarily um, involve thinking about the nature of the problem that you're doing and actually thinking about how you're doing it and whether the way that you're doing this activity is the most effective way. Often you can go on a training course and they will have, uh, might have a prescribed way of undertaking an activity, which could be a highly efficient way of doing it, but they're not necessarily focusing upon reorganizing the way that you do things, or even more important, encouraging you as your as a as a as an active agent in the process to reorganize your own ways of thinking and doing things which i would suggest is actually you know the nub of the matter it's the really important part you could have someone else reorganize your structure of your doing things but you wouldn't have the same qualitative degree of agency over it if you came across a new a new activity you still might have dependence upon others whether it was cognitive dependence or emotional dependence or just um, um, uh, interest or desire to go through some transformative process with respect to certain activities. Um, so the development's about the reorganization of your cognition and it's not, it doesn't just pertain to isolated activities necessarily what we can talk about activities much more generally so there are degrees of in 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 the teaching world use the term transference and so this is a, a good way to bring in developmental ideas into the teaching world because you say well um, if you have a developmental focus then it's all about transference it's all about learning to um, be able to uh, understand what you are doing, think about what you are doing, whatever it, whatever, whatever it is you are doing. Um, so you could call it deep learning or deep ways of understanding. Um, 
but if you're going to draw a neat distinction, I would suggest that the organization, the reorganization of the structure of one's thinking and activity is the key difference. Now, Vygotsky doesn't write about that in an explicit fashion the way that I'm writing about it because I'm reading between the lines, I'm coming, there's other material that I'm bringing in to refer to this. But I would suggest he does get there in a roundabout way. Okay, I think that's most of the preamble. Right. Ah, uh, no, there are a little bit more things. There's one more thing I wanted to talk about on the preamble. Um, right. So, if you're talking about anything significant or profound in the world of psychology, generally involves personal accounts of things. And um, the same applies here, I think. So, in order to try and give concrete examples and anecdotes which I'm going to do um, they're going to be personal ones and so this requires that I share some intimate aspects of at least my own experiences and family experiences um, which I wouldn't normally do um, but I think this is important in order to try and convey some of these ideas quite concretely and I think they're important ideas okay so let's move on okay so like yourself I've got two children um, two boys one six one nine and um, I've been interested in developmental psychology uh, um, for quite a while so the ideas and interests have been uh, growing along with uh, the experiences and joys of parenthood. Um, I would, if I was going to date it, I think it's probably about 10 years um, that I've been uh, looking into Vygotskyan ideas and relating to them to other forms of uh, 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 theorizing psychology and also um, the systemic ideas that can relate to this as well in the form of oh systems uh, thinking uh, cybernetics and that sort of thing okay um, so your questions originally about um, uh, whether this has brought out certain degrees of emphasis in my parenting um, I would say yes yes uh, they've certainly encouraged me to uh, engage with the children in particular activities and encourage the children to engage in certain activities um, and also um, help to uh, give some leniency I think as well to some of their activities which perhaps I wouldn't necessarily have, have, have seen in such a wider context and some things I might think, well, um, uh, they could be doing something better with their time, for example. Um, and maybe perhaps um, giving more um, scope for, uh, um, for questioning that. Um, I would say also that uh, the, the whole appreciation for development 
has given me he's given me more more time or has encouraged me to spend more time observing and uh, participating with children uh, with my children um, it's a very important point I think here when we're talking about engagement and working with children in that whenever we can participate in such a way that it isn't just for the child's benefit or that the child that, that it's meeting the child's interests but if it's also um, meeting the adult's interest too then that's when some really good quality experiences can arise from whether from the experience whether it's reading a book or or doing a task together um, so I think that's quite important I mean you can you know obviously if a child's very interested in the book and you think oh gosh that tedious that tedious book I'm gonna have to you know work my way through it and say you just do it of course that's going to happen but when you can if you if you can arrange the situation so that it's something that you have a joy for then obviously that joy is going to come through and the ch children are going to pick up on that so your emotional aspect i think is very important it comes through in your voice the whole behavior um, how you the tempo everything um, it brings so much more color to the experience and um the ideas that Vygotsky and many others bring to the, the, these accounts of children's development in themselves can help you as an adult just get a deeper appreciation of all the wondrous phenomena that's going on before you and can really draw you in more and just help bring that those encounters to a, a higher qualitative encounter. Um, and that's got to be for the good. Okay. Now, I um, talked about development, social genesis, and metacognition. And um, this all comes together as a parent, particularly with a very young child, like pre-verbal, in what you might call um, an auxiliary mind. So in this case, you, think, you can think of yourself as an adult as being an adjunct to the child's own capabilities. And if you can so fashion your own contribution so that you don't interrupt a child's own thinking process, but support it so like you're an extra layer if you had a topographical model of what was going on you, so you can appreciate what they're trying to do their orientation to what they're doing almost put yourself in their shoes see what they're trying to do if that can be done if you can achieve that and then be able to if the timing's right or if it's an apt moment, you might be able to provide some extra guidance or structure to, to that activity so that you are supporting them in such an in that activity. And this then feeds in, of course, this directly applies to Vygotsky's social genesis of mind. 
Now, um, mm. thinking of how to bring this forward. In some respects, this is just introducing the child to more, more, um, more experiences, things they might not have thought about. But in terms of this developmental process, you can think about the, the adult's contribution if it's done in harmony can act as a reflective process upon what the child themselves is doing and also a guiding process and this especially with a pre-verbal child uh, can have a great deal of bearing upon for example the their, their appreciation of um, vocabulary and speech and because as your as the parent I would suggest you have um, a high degree of influence with the child with respect to your own way of enunciating so as parents I I, I, I would I would tend to think that uh, your accent your way of pronunciation enunciation emphasis all these things are very um, uh, particular for the child that they're going to pick up on and they'll learn these patterns quickly and also start to adopt them themselves so when they're learning when they start to imitate and use the vocabulary that you yourselves are using they're probably going to be using it in very similar ways and even structure and pronounce it the same ways um, okay let's let's move on to some examples um, so I started here with um, some examples from my children when before they could speak okay and some of the things that I would just do with them um, so some mostly little, little games and, and things like that so um, one of them for example is very quite simple um, and that's uh, encouraging their agency and to observe uh, what happens when they do particular things so one of them would just be for example if I um, picking up the child to uh, a higher height my chest height and pointing out a light switch to them and encouraging them to turn the light switch on and off and look up at the light and see it come on and off and for both my children at a certain age they they once I'd shown them this, they they loved it, and you know they do keep doing it and want to see it, and it's just simple activities like this can really help to show their agent to to, to get a child sense of agency, and I think it's such a simple thing that they can do from quite an early age, certainly before they're before they're um, talking. Um, in terms of appreciation. Uh, there's a nice little example I think where if you can really enter into the child's world somewhat or understand their orientation the, the, here's I think I, this would count as a nice example of it and that is when um, one of my children was still pre-verbal I think and um, he was next to his furniture a sofa with a, uh, a gap underneath it but only a, uh, only a gap of a couple of inches under, under the sofa and he had a toy in his hand 
and he pushed the toy underneath the sofa and he looked at me okay and then he made some some gesture I think and then he brought that toy back out again now it, it, it perhaps wasn't framed with the same kind of silence that I'm giving it but for me that was very clear at that point in time that he was demonstrating to, to me that he had discovered that you can make an object disappear and then bring it back again so it's like a little piece of magic and he'd shown me that and our understanding together of that he had shown me that could really qualitate make a qualitative um, improvement in our or, or at least demonstrative of the level of communication that we could have it wasn't that I was just saying oh he's got his toy and he's just doing stuff with it but he was actually showing something very significant that was happening in his world that he could show that to me even without the use of speech so I think that was an example of how you can enter into the world of the child and really gain some close harmony with what they're doing and appreciate that there's a lot going on and it's it's ostensibly everyday very simple activity but at the same time very profound that he's making this discovery um, okay um, there's another account which uh, which I love and um, again this is one of my children it's pre-verbal I think maybe I've written notes about it somewhere but I couldn't find them before before talking um, and uh, somewhere between 15 and 18 months old um, and he, he he wasn't talking at that time and um, but I got the sense that he was perhaps following certain things that we were saying so one day um, I called him to me and I said to said to him, "Can you please um, put my boot on the trolley and bring it to me, please?" Now, when I asked him this question, I didn't look at the objects, and I deliberately didn't guess, uh, make uh, movements with my hands or or in any other way tried to communicate what it was that I asked him to do. So, young child waddles off, goes to where one of my boots is lying, puts it on his little toy trolley, and trundles over with the trolley. And for me, that's just an amazing thing, because here we are ostensibly thinking, well, the child can't speak yet; he doesn't understand language, and yet I've I've asked him to do something um, that he's never had me boldly request making a request of him before in this way before and yet he's perfectly willingly carried it out and demonstrated that yes he can understand what I'm saying um, it's I, I think that's quite a lovely account so the kind of things we I would also encourage similar to the light bulb the, the light switches um, is just manipulation of objects um, 
and uh, one of the boys particularly, they really, uh, again at the pre-verbal stage, he loved uh, playing with peg puzzles. And peg puzzles are just like a, a wooden board with cut out holes, particular shapes, and you just have to put the, the shape into the, the right hole. But this is, of course, isn't trivial for uh, a child that's you know under two years old. And uh, they have to manipulate shapes and remember which one goes up. And, but one of the children, he loved this and uh, became very versatile at it. And in fact, I would suggest that actually set, helped to set in motion a whole progression that has continued right, right through to this day. He, he, there's certain things that he loves to do. Um, okay. Um, other things at pre-verbal stage, uh, was, there was plenty of pointing involved. Again, this is all pre-speech. Um, when it was getting close to bedtime, or even sometimes in the middle of the night, when they'd wake up, when they're having, um, when they're tired or um, fretful, and there was crying involved, sometimes I would just, you know, I, I would play a, a little game with them in which I would uh, pick them up, and we'd, I'd take them downstairs, and uh, we'd just. I'd walk around with them, I, I'd be carrying them around, and uh, the child would point out where to go. So basically they would have the magic finger, and wherever they pointed I would take them. And then we might turn around and go somewhere else, and it was just, you know, a, a fun game that they enjoyed, and was a, a good distraction from the, uh, the growing pains that they were probably going through. Um, so these are all little anecdotes that hopefully you can start to relate to some of the things that Vygotsky is talking about. Um, I know he largely talks about speech, but all these um, all these little discoveries and um, activities that are happening even at a pre-verbal stage are just very important and can perhaps lay a foundation for um, for more more sophisticated activities when when they get older. Um, and as, as a um, elaboration upon that, when I was talking about peg puzzles with one of the children, um, and I was talking about a continuity, certainly uh, with him, there was a progression from an interest in the peg puzzles to um, playing with uh, Lego. First of all, the larger pieces of Lego, and then smaller pieces, and also with um, puzzles normal jigsaw puzzles. In fact, probably the jigsaw puzzles first, actually. Uh, yes, normal jigsaw, jigsaw puzzles that may be like, you know, 10 pieces in the puzzle. Uh, he loved working with the jigsaw puzzles because I think certainly with the social, social emphasis upon it and it just being, a, for him, a loving experience that he could, you know, enjoy doing and learning with these things. Um, so he uh, progressed from working with jigsaw puzzles and then uh, getting uh, different Lego kits and putting lots of Lego together as an extension of the jigsaw puzzles, but still having interest in the puzzles. Um, progression from the Lego um, to uh, building things in virtual environments. So, for example, there's this kind of virtual Lego and there's the Minecraft and, and, and things like this. And also progression on to um, 
looking at things like family trees, I would also see there's a continuity into this family tree structure. So right from the early stages of just enjoying putting little pieces of wood into these boards with peg, these peg puzzles, I can see there's, there is a continuity that I can perceive as an adult and parent and a psychologist to coming right the way through to his uh, enjoyment of working with um, more abstract ideas, for example, with uh, the family trees that he's worked with. And, uh, you know, the kind of, when I say family trees, uh, and I'm talking about, you know, graphs with about, well, hundreds, hundreds of interconnecting um, names and lineages and other details. And in the the work with, that I've done with him as a um, teacher substitute for over the COVID times, also have expanded that into other kinds of graphs, um, which he's enjoyed too. Um, okay, moving on. Right. Um, Yes, so in addition to appreciating what the child is trying to do at any particular time and their scope, which I call orientation, their active orientation, um, there are other Vygotskyan um, phenomena or phenomena that people in um, the Vygotsky world um, refer to, which they're, they're talking about um, things like negative phases in their development or crises, and certainly an appreciation of um, Vygotskyan ideas can help you as a parent work through these, depending upon the stubbornness or resilience of the children that, that, that you have. So. Um, uh, I had some experience of, of these phases. I mean, more so perhaps with one of the boys than than, than the other. And um, I recall that this was a subject that we talked about on um, XMCA a, a good while ago. And uh, I was drawing attention to different interpretations, for example, of Leon Tive, saying that these crises aren't aren't um, aren't Aren't, aren't necessary uh, to actually experience or go through, or you can interpret it that way. They aren't necessarily a, a crisis in terms of um, uh, a lot of trouble or a big shock that one has to experience. You can think of it as a logical crisis in the sense that, that there's um, a change a big change taking place. Now that change doesn't necessarily have, I think, doesn't necessarily have to entail a huge upheaval, huge emotional upheaval, although sometimes it may be necessary and can, can help with this. But as a parent, um, if you can appreciate that this is a, an important dynamic in the development of your child, then you're not necessarily going to fight it. You know, when your child is complaining about something and, you know, from your 
practical involvement in whatever it is you might think what the child's doing is absolutely ridiculous that all you're trying to do for example is is um take a shortcut or do or make some do some routine activity um in a slightly different way and the or or even try and do it in the way that was done before and a child is you know screaming that no no you need to go back and do it the other way um you're going to be less inclined to just you know put your foot down and say no we haven't got time do this you might you know have more time and um reflective opportunity to say okay you know everything's a learning process and activity and for the child in terms of the way they understand the world this is how things need to proceed with respect to either their familiarity or their new ways of of, of appreciating the situation so you can think of it in terms of there's good reasons for them to be um obstreperous or obstinate in this so-called negative phase um, there's quite a few examples i think i could think of that for example oh uh oh yes um when one of the children was being pushed around in the buggy um there was a certain sequence of events that would have to take place when they came indoors uh, i can't remember exactly what it was but it might have been for example that they don't get out of the buggy until they're in the house or that the clip comes off first and then they're released from the buggy and, or a particular basically a certain script that would have to take place and for these this particular um heightened uh phase there was a lot more um resistance to certain things happening some way so you just say okay <laughs> let's rewind and it you know literally have to actually put everything back up together again put them back in the buggy and go out the door and then come back in again and they might be happy with that and otherwise you might be putting up with another half hour or hour or maybe even longer <laughs> of them uh, um uh, complaining loudly <laughs> um, yeah so here's a nice example also of what you might think of as a, a negative phase or um, certainly rejection of, of, of something and that's with one of the children when um, at one point he took exception to having baths and he just he, he wouldn't get in the water in, a, in the bath um this was largely with um with his mum and uh you know she was telling me about this for oh many weeks maybe a month he was complaining or maybe longer that he was saying no no he just he'd something about the bath that he just he'd just taken exception to and he wasn't going in not without a big fight and it would probably be just me um more that more uh more than it was worth to um to to force him in into having this bath um so one has to appreciate that the child's understanding of the situation is going to be different to ours and you can relate perhaps this to the preconceptual understanding that vygotsky would theorize about the child and think well if you if the child approaches this in a different context or a different way of looking at it 
and he might be perfectly happy with the situation. So um, one day it's quite warm um, and uh, I had time to play with them and uh, I set up a little paddling pool in the garden and uh, we had a little game where you can run around and the running around inc included running through this little paddling pool and both children enjoyed that and then we extended it to having moving the slide and so they would slide down the slide and uh, slide into the paddling pool and then run around and very simple game um, so with both of them they got you know enjoyed this game very much they slipped down the slide into the paddling pool and continued running around and then that evening instead of my wife taking him directly up to Bath or trying to force him to Bath because it was I think it was a Sunday when they have their baths um, I took I, I ran the bath for him and and he wasn't in the bathroom at this time so I, he's so I brought him in and described to him what I was doing and I was saying okay we're we're going at the top of the slide and we're sliding down into the water because the bath has a an incline like most baths and it has a slider and he you know I, he slid down the bath and into the water and there was absolutely no problem with it whatsoever you know he was just acting as if he'd never had any rejection of water and being in the bath at all and i think you could put this down to just his orientation and how he was seeing the situation um, I wouldn't describe that as an experimental situation but just as an anecdote to say how you as a parent you know you could just enter into these things it's you don't need to read all the theory that Vygotsky puts together in order to to just appreciate that yeah, you've probably saved yourself more angst by just encouraging this this different perspective on things Okay, so a little bit more about refusing things. Uh, children um, refusing, for example, to go to bed. Uh, I think many parents probably aware of, um, maybe they don't think about it too much, but they're aware of um, the levels of reasoning that a child may go through in certain activities so when a child says um you know when a child starts to put up resistance because it's bedtime um they're not necessarily going to just put their foot down and say no i'm not going to bed it's because oh they want to go and do something else now when you've got depending on the age of the children there's a general simple method that you can sometimes apply and that is you just have you frame it in the right way and one of these would be for example instead of saying okay it's time to go to bed you can say well it's getting towards bedtime um, what are we going to do first are we going to brush your teeth or are we going to put your pajamas on and depending on where the child is in this in their developmental phases they're not necessarily going to say we're not going to do either we're just we're not going to bed at all you know they're not going to come up with that response it's the way they're thinking and is is going to be quite concrete in terms of which of the two options do i go for and particularly you might say oh even with smarter 
you know, kids that are a bit older intellectually, they might, you have to bear in mind that by the end of the day, they're getting quite tired. And I would suggest it's also, it's, it's a very good, um, a very good idea to, um, to just lower the involvement or in complexity of tasks that your child's in, child engages with right towards the end of the day. Otherwise, you're going to end up with probably more tantrums than you necessarily want to uh, to entertain. So th this would now many many parents be aware of this. You could say you could phrase things in a particular way. Depending on the age, you might have to get more sophisticated in in how you structure these things. But you know, certainly for quite young children, you could say, okay. Um, do you want to brush your teeth first or do you want to uh, get your pajamas on and immediately the child feels that they have an option they go and do things and they you know they have some agency in what's going on and they will pick one or the other and you can slowly make your way eventually towards them actually you know going to bed and you get some well-earned rest as a parent too um that I think you you can think of that as an example of of getting the uh, a, a sort of uh, a slightly different example of the parent child um, engagement. As you can almost think of it as an interface, as a a certain level of of um, influence and guidance and communication. So obviously, as the child gets more sophisticated, there might be more sophisticated ways you know, gets old enough and they can, you know, choose for themselves when they go to bed within reason. Um, so now that kind of refusal rejection is not necessarily the same as the prior kind, but there's a similar kind of uh, method that you can apply in terms of understanding the orientation uh, that the child is taking. Um, now, this makes it easier for you as an adult in the sense that there's less confrontation, perhaps, but it's certainly not easier in terms of the attention that is required for you as an adult. So you, it, it, these practices as a, uh, an involvement as an adult uh, is going to require more involvement particularly at the times when the child themselves starts to get tired and fussy or um, show annoyance and this sort of thing. When those, so this we're talking about generally towards the end of the day, for the in the evening time, the child themselves are getting tired. They themselves probably don't realise that they're getting tired. They're probably still doing, trying to do the things that they were doing in the middle of the day, but it's not working because they're tired and be showing some degrees of frustration as well. So when we come back to the parent as an auxiliary mind, at these times you're doing more of the carrying. So you're, you're where you, the the harmony interface and, and or whatever you want to call it, you, the, the, the communication that you had earlier in the day is not going to, it's not going to be the same that it is when they're getting tired and you, you just, you, you, 
you're providing more support, perhaps, but also more tolerance too. Hopefully this is making sense. Um, last thing to make note of on the, especially towards evening time, one of the things I tried with my children is, is to encourage more self-awareness of their own tiredness and to so I would reiterate daily um, um, choose choose something simpler towards the end of the day I mean we had uh, um, numerous experiences of child children crying what have you towards the end of the day because they're trying to do things that they could do earlier in the day but they were just you know mentally tired from 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 the day's activities but not themselves realizing it um, and so starting with just directing them to do simpler things in the last hour of the day um, but also encouraging them to be aware that um, this was happening uh, and I'd say um, that with the older child it, this has generally worked and that they you know, he's a, he he picks his activities a bit more judiciously now i'm not sure we have that problem with the the younger child either now either um yeah so the nature of the the parenting challenges changes okay last page um Right, um, got a note here. Parental values and the school curriculum, expectancies around school. Okay, so um, this is getting much more into developmental education side of things. Um, generally, I would say I'm I'm I have reasonably low expectations of 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 what to expect from school or really the school curriculum which is outside the control of, of, of the school um, my wife probably has higher expectations um, but these expectations are more in line with what how the curriculum should be implemented within the school and you know that um, all the work that children do should be covered on you know um, regularly and um, they should be listening to the child reading and Basically, the teachers should be doing all the diligence that um, certain parents like my wife think they should be doing and and often that doesn't they don't quite uh, meet meet her criteria um, so where I sit with this is much more a case of well, what can the school achieve what 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 are what are their goals um, what are they trying to meet? And um, I just work within those expectations and 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 uh, just try to fit in really and say, well, how can I as a parent bring all these these other factors into play that the school aren't providing that I myself value and think are very important. And um, so, uh, you know, unless I was to start up my own developmental educational school or find one um, 
my own values are ones that are going to have to play uh, um, in tandem with what's presented in the school environment. And then I myself look, came up through a, what's called a comprehensive school in, in the UK. And, um, you know, I feel that um, cognitively speaking, um, I've done reasonably well. Um, and uh, so just because um, the school system that we go to isn't necessarily tailored for developmental education, that doesn't mean that the process um, can't still take place. I think it just requires particular onus and effort to make sure that it takes place. Um, okay. Right, so particular kinds of things that I would uh, encourage the children to do when they're outside of school that would uh, exercise um, certain uh, cognitive competencies that they wouldn't necessarily be getting in school. Um, so just getting them to, I'd encourage them to get involved in certain projects. Um, so this is something that might they might be involved in with uh, for an hour a day or maybe just half an hour um, sometimes longer it, it just but basically their own everything of their own choice and volition um, and the projects would be um, things that they enjoy doing uh, but would um, uh, demand a certain degree of attention from them, which I think was, you know, that'd be part of the enjoyment of what they were doing. Um, exercising their reasoning. Um, this could happen through um, puzzles that I would give them. Uh, games. Um, it could be like board games. Um, they both play chess and um, I've shown them some things this summer actually I, I, I made a little go board and we used didn't have to we used uh, one of the boys is a big tin of buttons and um, we found lots of little white and black buttons to use as the stones and I showed them how to play go and um, they seem to quite like it and they, they just go and play together by themselves sometimes and just you know play go and play chess and card games um, there's participation in tasks so lots of household chores but also sometimes things that I'm doing uh, particularly if I'm making something then uh, I think it's good that they 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 try and get his hands on as they can or just appreciate what I'm doing so uh, this summer I was completing a, a little um, uh, structure in the garden for them uh, it's basically it started off as a sand pit and there's like a tower over this and, and I was putting a shelter over the over the tower and um, getting them involved in, in building the shelter. Um, so yes, the participation in tasks and um, a fair bit of self-study as well and get, getting them used to being able to learn on their own. Um, 
a good bit of this is just reading activities and they're both quite good readers now probably better than I was at this age um, and just general activities that a parent would be interested in you know um, cycling and swimming and this sort of thing so on a nice day if we're around on the weekend we might um, go for a family cycle ride which avoiding any roads and uh, they're all on their own bikes now but that that took a long time originally they were on uh, uh, seats on the back of the bikes and pull twos and things and so it's a natural progression interestingly that the second child is much more you might say uh, fluent in 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 uh, moving skills kinetic skills you might say uh, he although he showed a great you know fluency with uh, cycling he decided that he wasn't going to be you know cycling on his own bike until uh, I think like might have been getting close to five he had a um, balance bike for a long time I think he had the balance bike when he's about three and uh, enjoyed it but um, didn't want to, to to leave that for uh, um, a bike without the uh, you know a bike where you've got pedals um, for a good while although from from a parent perspective you could say well he's he's more fluent than many children with with these kind of things you're quite sure that he would enjoy getting on a bike and cycling but um, he chose that that you know that he wasn't going to do it and it was just waiting for the right moment or the right time for 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 that to happen and um, eventually I think it was he was getting he was about five years old I think and uh, uh, there's one time we say you know it seemed the timing was right and I said okay we're gonna go and practice some cycling and um, for about two weeks I would uh, I would take him out and um, I would go I would jog beside him once he was you know he didn't take him very long at all to to get his balance properly and I'd just go jogging and we'd do maybe um, about a mile a day something like that until uh, for about two weeks and uh, you know he, he just picked it up very very quickly but you know as a parent you could see well you you you, you were sure yeah it's a certain bet that he would pick it up quickly but um, he'd made you know emotionally he was attached to the previous way of doing things and there was no reason to push it so you could just say well okay um in your own time when you're ready you know we'll we'll, we'll uh we'll get on with it and um once once he'd made that transition to to being able to cycle on his own then of course um, as a family unit we could then enjoy certain trips together and again it's about the the, the togetherness of that um I think there's you can make a, a quite a, a strong connection between the um, the free enjoyment in activities and the kind of uh, free um, creative imagination that you can bring to many encounters too. Um, probably don't have much time to go into that, but uh, when we're talking, other than saying when I'm talking about cognition here, I'm not necessarily talking about that degree of free emotional cognition free emotional creation the the kind of cognitive structures that I get into in some of the things that I've written about 
um, you could you think of that as basically the, an articulated framework of understanding things or being able to explain things and work with things. Um, it's not necessarily the same thing as as getting um, some imaginative insight into something. But even when you even if one got some sort of insight, in order to explain it or even work with it, um, uh, remember it. Uh, you would start to have to bring these cognitive structures to bear upon it. So you can think of the kind of cognitive structures as a kind of filter, and uh, uh, but also a, a way of manipulating things. How articulated your um, your ability to manipulate ideas um, are, and and also the ideas of one's own activity. How you can can build your own strategy for undertaking a task. Um, right. Yeah, so all these activities, um, you might think there's nothing particularly special about them. And um, I say, yeah, they're just everyday things. They're just given a particular onus, but a particular focus. I would say with all of these things, it's cons there's an underlying consideration that um, problems are good. Um, you know, um, thinking problems or you're faced with a task and you've, you, hit a, you hit an obstacle, this is this is a certain kind of material you can think of. You can think of these problems as a kind of food um, to encourage independent thinking. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not shy of just throwing new new things at the kids if 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 I think that, that they'll enjoy them. Um, right, got a note here about alternative schooling. So, um, you know, this is something always at the back of my mind is about, well, um, are they, are they getting the, the best kind of education that, that, that for them, or, uh, is there, uh, is there a better way? And, um, I suppose I explored this a little bit with the, um, the COVID, uh, conditions, um, in that I was providing, uh, uh teaching for them for about 16 weeks up until the holidays uh, summer holidays so from March till about uh, July I was providing uh, teaching for them and um, this was uh, started off quite um, extemporary and I was just building up on my you know working my own experiences that where I've provided uh, tutorage and um uh but trying to bring in more of the developmental principles into the um the experience i was doing this for um the morning so oh, basically from um about nine o'clock till one o'clock and then my wife would take over and um if there was school work to be done, which there was, but not 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 a huge amount, they would do that within um, the second session in the afternoon. So in this, so I was free in my first session just to focus on lots of different topics, and we would focus much more in depth on particular subjects, and our approach would be um, noticeably different too. Obviously, if we only got 
two children in your classroom, then you can do things in a very different way. Um, some of it was planned, pre-planned, but um, I also like to demonstrate my own thinking, ways of doing things to them. And so whenever I hit a problem or a little issue with the, what I was trying to show and get them involved in, um, that would become part of the part of the practice is actually seeing someone else hit a, an issue and try to resolve it. Um, but there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of content um, that I could uh, articulate about what I was trying to do in that period, but it would take a long time to get through. There were certain kind of influences, there's developmental education side of things. And the key point about developmental education really is to, you want to try and, within the Vygotskyan and Davidov and uh, within the Davidovian school, um, a key thing is to try and facilitate the orientation of the child into, under, uh, with respect to the activity. So the big, big difference between a notational understanding about something and an actual um, oriented engaged understanding in which you have to construe the nature of the problem or the and the objects that might might make up the problem and basically you can achieve this through just the encountering of certain kinds of problems and you're um, focused upon them and you, you, you need to resolve them and um, yeah I'm sorry that I can't really go into this in a lot more detail than other than you know add another hour to the already very long talk okay um, but things that came into it is developmental education I'd say the philosophy was coming into it um, systemic understandings, so for example, the relationship between a verb and a noun, uh, process and structure, um, uh, operations that take place when you're making mathematical manipulations, what an object is, um, these sorts of things uh, all coming into the philosophy side of things but also systemic appreciations um, but bringing them all in at a level where they can actually uh, get a sense of them not necessarily fully comprehend them but to get a sense that, that, that they're not foreign and I think this is an important issue in that a lot of people think perhaps that adult content is for adults and you you can't really introduce this to children but i think you can if you're very conscious about the orientation of the child and this comes back to um, uh, ideas about the zone of proximal development and this hopefully will help to show that zone of proximal development as sketched out by vygotsky can be thought of as in quite naive or a little bit naive because this is quite a flexible plastic idea or notion in which you can, with care and attention, you can actually uh, bring quite complex ideas, like I'm talking about, you know, philosophical ideas, 
into the appreciation and awareness of, of a young child. You can do it. Yeah. It, it just requires a bit of effort and thinking to do so. All right. Um, so there's philosophy in it, systems ideas, uh, Triz came into it. I'm sorry, I can't remember what the Triz acronym stands for. It's um, it's uh, basically theory of design that um, relates quite strongly to dialectical processes. So it's, for example, you know, a method of creative design for, for all sorts of um, usually engineering apparatus and that sort of thing, but it doesn't have to be um, innovation. And uh, the people involved in, in that practice that have got involved in children's education too. So I borrowed some ideas from there, borrowed ideas from my own upbringing and, um, and involvement. So there's you know, sorts of puzzles and things that I, I, I got involved with. Um, the mathematics they were doing were um, one or maybe more years ahead of what they were doing in class. And I'd basically bring in anything that was on the periphery of, of you know, their understanding. So the nine-year-old was doing simultaneous equations and drawing graphs of things. The six-year-old was doing... Uh, multiplication, division, working with fractions, um, you know, things that they wouldn't probably do in school for, for many years. And it's not necessarily just because, oh, these are things uh, that um, will be useful to them in the future and they're part of their curriculum, but really it's, it's, it's also about just exercising them. You don't want to be presenting, a, if you can help it, you don't want to be presenting a child with tasks that they already know how to do. Yeah, so it's about problem-oriented focus. And even when they're not ostensibly faced with a problem of saying, how do I resolve this? You can still exercise that activity by giving them tasks that are um, uh, new to them and it involve construal. Uh, that's quite a big thing for me, so construing things. Okay. Um, that's probably... A, Maybe that's sufficient on the alternative schooling. I'll have to go into more detail on that. Uh, perhaps um, if I follow up on a request from uh, from other people that they want more details on, I can I can go into that. Um, interestingly, when we finished the the um, the uh, school coverage uh, end of July, um, so we had a rule for the kids which was basically um you know it's holiday time summer holidays you can do what you like to a certain degree but um we don't want it too noisy in the morning so you just do you do relatively quiet activities in the morning and um that seemed for them that pretty much seemed to translate as saying oh, we just do the sorts of things that we did in daddy's school, i.e. from nine to one, um, but we kind of choose what to do, choose the curriculum, which for me was like, yeah, great, fine. And so, you know, right the way through the holidays, um, they've been doing about, you know, a good amount of what they were doing with me, you know, but on their own. Not, not the, necessarily the problem-oriented stuff, but they've the young one has been doing his reading 
you know, he reads, uh, uh, I think, at least two chapters of his um, stories. You know, he's got um, lots of adventure books, and he's, you know, when I say two chapters, I don't mean two chapters of an adult book. The, the, the you know, it's it's smaller, but it's, um, you know, it's 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 a it's a good thing from him to be doing. He's just daily doing it on his own, reading these. Um, and they spend a lot of time at the table reading and writing, um, making their own stories, making their own um, their own little books or and ideas. Um, they play, you know, various games together and, um, yeah, you know, and elaborate on certain things. So one of the things they seem to enjoy quite a lot um, is um, their own game of uh top trumps and top trumps is a card game where basically you have um some topic and you have um each card is um a an example in this topic so if it's cars you've got the fastest car if it's dinosaurs you've got the you know the the um the fastest largest biggest scariest uh dinosaurs and there were a lot of attributes and the name of the game is you, you just the, the purpose of the game is you just you compare your top card with your uh neighbors but you know the person who is leading at that particular um in that particular phase of the game chooses the attribute and they if they guess the attribute that's that's highest for them they win the card and they carry on playing um so for me you know that's you know yeah they enjoy the game and that's fine uh, um it's nice that they create their own game i can see there's lots of good things about it in terms of their getting um greater familiarity with uh the notion of attributes of things and comparison and modeling all oh, lots of good things going on there um other things which i would you know i'm sort of more um, um, not so enamored I suppose about the processes just uh, what seem, what you can see as a parent you can look at this and say gosh there is so much detail that they are plowing into these things which you know you could think of sort of just sort of trivial um, trivial made up details from stories about lots of different things that they're bringing in and they're memorizing all of this stuff uh and uh, as as an adult who you know you can you know you might think well you know i have to put effort in into trying to remember things um you might think gosh why couldn't they be spending their that time you know learning a foreign language or something of similar ostensible merit where you know they have they're harnessing some some you know uh building a reservoir of 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 familiarity with something that will be you know of great use to them in the future rather than this apparent you know trivia about you know um uh stories that be made up names that have been made up and and you think oh you know they're spending hours and hours on this stuff. Couldn't they be learning some foreign language? And this, I suppose, is partly, you know, you could demonstrate that this is maybe where some um, 
some leniency, more leniency isn't required. Um, you know, that I, um, 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 I'm giving in in this area, and that um, we need to we need to um, just give give account for just how how long these processes can take, and just how how much grounding in in these um, building blocks is required to get the kinds of fluency and in, and enjoyment with um, with more richer um, activities. And uh, I mean, I, I from a different perspective, you know, I can look at this and say, well. Um, when their experience of these activities is that it's it's it that for them that it's simple and for them when it's trivial um, they will surely you know get bored of it and they will want to move on to something else or they will you know want to enrich the process and yeah i mean as an adult as a parent i could uh, you know i'm tempted to think about well there's ways that i could you know enrich that game or make an idea a suggestion to, to them in that game but um, you know, it's their own game. I don't need to, you know, it, it's it's for them to uh, decide these things. But f just as an instance, for an instance, for example, in um, of how you might introduce structure into that sort of game when you're thinking about a parent, well, it is that you know the simple things. For example, you can change change the nature of the, uh, the structure of the game. Which you would have if you were thinking about any kind of game, you'd you'd think about how do I make a rich structure out of it? And for example, you could say, well, in this circumstance of top trumps, you can introduce a third, a third dynamic or process. For example, that instead of the players themselves choosing which attribute counts, you have some independent process which dictates which attribute is important to that particular time, which makes a more interesting structure. And you have to involve the strategy of the thinking more in terms of I know that, oh, for example, if ferocity is the current um, current most important attribute and I know that speed is coming up in two turns time, then I can, you know, uh, structure my choice of cards in a particular way. You know, assuming you change the, the rules about necessarily going through a linear process of the cards and it's those sorts of things i think that you where again it's like you're looking at the structure of the activity and the structure that the child can bring to the activity and appreciation anticipation of it that is all contributing towards that cognitive reorganization which um, you know i think is very important okay just check my notes i haven't got anything else that um of import Right, that's everything. Hopefully reasonably coherent and um, and equally balanced. I'm not sure. I'm not sure of the last one. Mm. Um, it does strike me that perhaps I haven't emphasised sufficiently that role about metacognition and the parent. It's a quite a, 
there's quite a lot of nuances to it so it might it might benefit from from being um, a talk in its own right and this talk is already an hour and a half so um, let me know what you think and uh, I'll go from here bye now <laughs>